The Set the Pace podcast is brought to you by New Balance, the official apparel and footwear partner of New York Roadrunners and the TCS New York City Marathon. You know, one of my favorite things about marathoners is that we're not afraid to show off the fact that we run marathons. We love to let people know we love to go 26.2. And if you haven't already, you should head to newbalance.com to check out this year's official TCS New York City Marathon collection. And if you're a New Yorker out there, you can actually come check out the collection in person or even take a pair of New Balance shoes out for a test run at the New York Roadrunners Run Center, which is located at 57th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. We got tons of new colors and fits and everything from the official jacket to my go-to daily trainer, the Fresh Foam 1080 V13, which are available for sale on October the 13th. You know, one of my favorite things about my job as CEO of New York Roadrunners is that running shoes and trainers are appropriate attire pretty much anywhere I go. So I want to thank New Balance for hooking me up with a pair of those early. They're super comfortable and lightweight, which is exactly what I'm looking for. And my favorite part is that they feature the marathon logo and the color. So thank you, New Balance, for letting my New Balance gear do the talking for me. Also, the full line will be available race week right before the TCS New York City Marathon at the Expo at the Javits Center. So check it out. Thank you, New York. Today, we're reminded of the power of community and the power of coming together. Athletes, on your mark. The first woman to finish for the second straight year here in the New York City Marathon is Mickey Gorman, a smiling Mickey Gorman, and why not? 2.29.30, the time for Gritterbikes. Look at the emotion of Shalane Flanagan as she comes to the line. Pointing to his chest, pointing to the USA. He so proudly wears across his chest. A great day for Matt Kapleski. And welcome to episode five of Set the Pace, the official podcast of New York Roadrunners presented by New Balance. Great to have you back with us. I'm Rob Simulcair, the CEO of New York Roadrunners, joined as always by 2009 TCS New York City Marathon champion Meb Kofleski. Meb, great to see you. How was your weekend? Weekend was great, Rob. It was busy with the kids' soccer and other stuff, but traveling, so but excited to be on another podcast. It was uh, a rainy weekend here in the Northeast. No, not, not a lot of racing here in New York. We had a cross-country event up in Van Cortlandt Park, but a relatively quiet event. But the world was focused on Berlin, Meb, where the Berlin Marathon took place. And uh, boy, there were a lot of headlines. We'll get to that in just a second, but we're excited to have a great episode today. A little bit later on, we'll be talking to an incredibly inspirational figure, Rome Lakin, uh, will tell us about his story, one of the most inspiring stories I think you'll ever hear from the world of marathons. But Matt, Berlin, boy, as always, it was fast in Berlin. Elliot Kipchoge now back on top after his disappointing uh, uh, race in Boston, comes back, wins his fifth title in Berlin. Um, and that's really never a surprise when he does well in Berlin. But what is a surprise, Meb, is he wasn't the big story in Berlin. It was on the women's side. And Tigist Asefa setting a new women's world record with a time of two hours, 11 minutes, and 53 seconds, Meb. An absolutely blazing speed from Asefa. Absolutely. I guess the SFA ran really, really, really well. You know, we always talk about the magic number or what does it feel like to run five minutes per mile? 
that's 211.40. Yeah, she ran 502 average to 11.53. And the best part of it, she did a negative split. Very witty. She ran 106.20. And next half, she ran 105.33 to get her, her world record breaking by previous world record by over two minutes. And that's incredible. It's mind boggling. And to kind of put it in perspective, that's closing closer, closer to the man. And a lot of men are getting past on that. I just want to say, I'm glad I retired when I did. <laughs> were, you, were you surprised, Meb, at that time? I mean, that that's, it's really impressive. She, she's shown, she's got great speed. She was the defending champion in Berlin, right? So we know she can run fast, but this was taking it to another level. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, you anticipate the world record to be broken by seconds, but by two plus minutes. If you think about it, that's almost like a half a mile. And and she won by a lot. She won by a mile, basically. She, the next person was Sheila Chepkarui from Kenya, which is 217.49 and six, six minutes and four seconds difference from first place from Tegisti. And then the other one that was surprising was uh, Tanzania's uh, Mangadalena Shirui, who debuted at 218.41. So here's another one, future runner that is coming. So the women is ve getting very competitive. Uh, the men's is very close in terms of finish time, but, and the women's side is getting broken the world record by, by other people. The speed is always the factor in Berlin. And this year, there were a record nine men finishing inside two hours and five minutes, a record eight women under 220. So, it was just a fast day. And Meb, for Kipchoge, how big a deal do you think it was for him to get back on top after the loss in Boston? You know, Berlin lives up to the standard. That's his home, uh, away from home, is uh, to run 2.42, which is amazing. He was uh, 31 seconds ahead of Vincent Kipkomoy. And he's home. I mean, at the same time, to defend the title, to win is hard. To win it five, in a, in a, uh, not in a row, five times is incredible. And for him, that's his comfort zone. He went back and lived up to his standard, lived on the top, and not a world record, but very, very respectful time. And now he's looking forward to, you know, looking forward to the other races that he's going to map out and get ready for 2024 Paris Olympic Games. So it's, not, it's always nice to be back on top because sometimes you go through the trial and tribulation, but you learn a lot about yourself when things are not going well. But finishing in Boston, it was very uh, respectable to the crowd and to, to Boston. But you know, not all races are the same. Different, different, different courses for, for different people. And now that's where he went to Berlin. And Berlin is fast. I never done it, but I heard it's a like flat, flat kick, pancake, or fast is what they say. And so both the men and women lived up to it. Yeah, courses for horses, right? That's what they say. And it's definitely the course that uh, Eliud Kipchoge loves to run. Maybe it was also fast on the wheelchair side. The top four women in the wheelchair division all finished under world record time. It was Catherine De Bruner coming in first place. She'll also be in New York, as well as all four of the women uh, in that top four will all be competing at the TCS New York City Marathon. So can't wait to see them back in action. And then on the men's side, it was Marcel Hugh coming away with the win. He will also be in New York. So that's the wrap on Berlin. It was a fast one. And now I'm thrilled to turn our attention to a really inspiring guest, Rome Lakin. Great to have you on the podcast. It is my pleasure. Thank you very much, Rob. All right. So let's talk about your story. And first of all, where'd you grow up? 
I grew up in a couple places, I guess, but um, I grew up in Stanford, Connecticut. Long story short. Okay, got it. So you're a New York area guy. And were sports a big part of your life growing up? Were you active? Did you run? Definitely not running. I played uh, basketball. I was heavily involved in uh, basketball, uh, football in high school, tennis, swimming as a kid, definitely. Um, but then, uh, you know, as you get to a young adult and you move to the city, you know, work and life takes over. So yeah, I occasionally went to the gym. I occasionally went for the run in Astoria Park, I remember, which was really nice. Um, but, uh, and I biked everywhere in the city. I loved biking, but it was never competitive. Mm -hmm. There was never a competitive street to it. So tell us about the incident that, that of course led to the, the, the life you have now, uh, when you were in the subway Rome, uh, talk about what happened that day. <sighs> to make a, uh, to make a long story short, I got run over by the L train. <laughs> Um, but to make a, a short story long, it was February 2nd, 2018, Groundhog's Day. Um, it was cold. It was like a Friday morning. I woke up, was going to work. And as I'm waiting for the subway in Brooklyn, I'm a quote unquote seasoned subway rider. So I'm not teetering on the edge, but I'm not all the way in the back. This is rush hour Friday morning, right? So I'm just trying to get onto the subway, but I have a seizure and I, and right as the train's coming in, I fall down and boom. And what happened, whatever happened, happened. I have not yet gone to the, um, uh, hospital Elmshurst at, or whoever, what the process was that happened. Oh, I found you here and I picked you up and I took you there. I'm not, I don't know what those initial, what those steps were. I just know that eventually I woke up at Elmshurst and then I was transferred to Yale New Haven and then Burke and then went home. Um, so what happened was that I had a seizure on the subway platform and then I fell onto the subway tracks and just as I was falling in, the L train came in and ran me over and I sustained a, uh, double bilateral above knee amputation and a severe traumatic brain injury. And the, the condition that, that ended up uh, leading to the, the incident you had uh, on the subway it was epilepsy, correct? Is that, is that something that you, you had from a very young age? When, when did you first started having, start having seizures? I was first diagnosed when I was 14, I believe. Um, I had my first seizure in the shower, actually, right before, high, uh, right before class in high school, I think. That's why I probably don't like bathrooms. They're all too clean, you know, or hospitals, especially too, too white and clean everywhere. I think a lot of people have that problem with them, but I just want to go you know, in and out of bathrooms. That's it. Um, but yeah, I think I was diagnosed when I was 14 with uh, epilepsy and I had started medication. I'd been on medication and I still am. And I hadn't had a seizure in years before uh, that incident. And I haven't had one since. How frequently were you having them? Not frequently at all. Not frequently enough, I guess. <laughs> Not frequently at all, really, because that's how the medication. So uh, you take a couple pills every day and 
you're fine. But when I uh, was growing up in the culture, nobody ever spoke about anything that uh, you had to take pills for or something that was wrong with you that was not outwardly visible and obvious so you know nobody knew that i had epilepsy until this happened and epilepsy uh seizure that was the reason why and then wow oh my goodness i didn't know you you, you had it so uh, what was it like growing up i should have um it should have been more accepted i guess uh, you know more talked about as uh when i was growing up oh hey it's okay to take pills you got this thing with you and uh only these type of meds are gonna prevent you from dying type of thing um and meanwhile whereas i was like oh my god nobody knows don't tell anybody um keep it a secret as long as you can and then you know, when you get on your own you start cutting it down you know before you were diagnosed, uh, you looked like you were outdoors was something that you enjoy. How was that the difference when you were diagnosed with the medication? Did that change anything or it was more regular for you? No, that actually didn't change anything for me. It was regular. I mean, when you're 14, you're in high school, you got other things to worry about. And um, I'm like, okay, take this and it's not going to affect anything I do. Take this medication, it's not going to affect anything I do. And that's what happened. And it didn't. And so I progressed my uh, normal activities, you know, which was sports oriented. I just didn't gravitate enough towards team sports. And that's what I really started to enjoy later on in life. Waking up to that is dramatic. What was your first mental thought? I was in a coma for about three and a half weeks. And then I think with all the drugs i probably didn't process the fact that i didn't have any legs till maybe a few days after but i didn't need no doctor to come in and tell me hey man you got no legs i like just all my head okay there are people out there that know how to walk hands-free in prosthetics i just have to find them and get in contact with them and do what they do and find out how they got to that point what they did and that's exactly what i did i looked them up on social media like facebook and instagram and and I made connections and then I went to uh, adaptive BACA, bilateral above knee amputee BACA boot camps. Uh, I went to BACA life camps um, and then I got the... I got the technique down of how to get better. And then it's a day in and day out practice of that until you hit your goals and it's on to the next on to the next and then that's how i've been living my life ever since then and what i recently learned is that survivors of traumatic injuries just in general traumatic injuries um but uh, especially someone like me i will tend to feel as if i am forever that age of when it happened so i was 31 when i got hit i was 32 when i woke up so if I forever feel like I got my 32nd birthday coming up, then good on me. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I wouldn't. Well, that does feeling, sound really uh, good. Feeling 30 something forever. <laughs> hey, that's exactly how I feel. I feel like, yeah, I'm going, I got my 32nd birthday coming up. I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> you remember those days that when traumatic happens or when big things and milestone happen. And can you tell us about, the first time that you felt the possibilities of getting out of that 
you know, do sports like the hand cycle or be able to just say, I'm going to go outside and exercise on my own. What was that like? Well, there were two different moments, I think. There was one that's knowing, okay, it's possible. It's uh, other people do it. And then there's the other realization that's like, oh, I can do it, right? So the first one came relatively quickly. You just do a quick search on uh, Google or Facebook for double above knee amputees doing this and that. And there's unbelievable amount of people that I have come across that I do. I'm sure you guys know uh, Richard Whitehead, uh, or Rudy Garcia, Cameron Clapp, right? These guys have done marathons before. Um, and so those are my idols. <laughs> so when I looked them up and I saw that, the, and Rudy was, and um, what's his uh, what's his friend's name? That was the first person I ever saw uh, walking, but that was uh, probably a year plus after my actual accident that I see Rudy in Burke, maybe eight months or so. Um, at a Burke rehabilitation facility in White Plains, like walking with no legs on his prosthetics uh, into um, Burke's some outdoor uh, event they were having, right? And then I was like amazed. Oh, wow. Okay. It's, and then when I got to do it uh, physically, and then I could see that I can turn this. Uh, trauma into right the quote of the uh baka boot camp in atlanta was turning trat turning uh tragic to magic mm. right and I felt that I got to turn my tragic into my magic right when I hopped on that hand cycle at uh, the Burke hand cycling clinic with Achilles International. Dominic Romano was there. And then that's when I rode and I saw it. And it's like, oh, that's how I get to freeze back in my hair again. And I had hair back then. Yes, and it felt great. <laughs> and then that's what I continued to do. And then I signed up immediately for the five borough. And then the uh, marathon was the year after. That was 2021, right? That's right. That was your first marathon. Yeah. Talk about Achilles a little bit, Rome. And we, we, for those who have run the marathon uh, or, or other roadrunners races here in New York or races around the world, they've seen Achilles International. They've seen uh, mm -hmm. with disabilities being guided by Achilles. I know Achilles played a big part in your finding and developing in the sport of hand cycling. Talk about what Achilles did for you on this journey. Achilles was essentially the... Uh, no, I wouldn't want to say motivator because that may take a little too much away from me, uh, but it was definitely a catalyst and a way for me to progress into um, uh, marathoning. And they certainly gave me a platform to do it through and uh, the means to do it, to do it, uh, to marathon uh to do it with uh right because they were the initial ones who provided the hand cycles so physically and then dom dominic romano um 
has uh, spoken with me directly about specific issues, helped put my bike together. Uh, the team has helped me learn how to repair my own tire, has gotten me uh, equipment, has really been a phenomenal catalyst to get me to uh, the starting line so that I can get to the finish line any way I can, right? That's what they're all about, getting adaptive athletes to the start line and getting them to the finish line. And they allowed me to do that at my own pace. And then they knew exactly when to let me step back and say, he's got it from here on out, let him bring more into the fold. And it is such a great honor to be able to pass the, uh, I, I don't know what it's called, pass the baton or mm -hmm. uh, type of thing, uh, you know, um, and also be able to uh, set trends. Trend isn't the right word, but set, yeah. Uh, set a standard. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, it's just such pure excellence that uh, I've got to achieve with them through them, and that's all that I can say about them. It's pure excellence. Tell us about the exhilaration of you know uh, I have done moment, whether it was the first five k or ten k half marathon leading to the TCS New York City Marathon in two thousand. Uh, 21. Um, what, what way says, Hey, I made this far. Now I can make it to the marathon. When was that moment for you? These are all still small goals to me. I've done the marathon before. I'm God Berlin coming up. What my big thing is going to be is running the marathon in my blades. Yes, you're you're showing awesome. up for those who can't right. see the audio for right the, now. For those who can't see, right? I'm wearing my blades and that's going to be the real triumph. So, yes, I've hand cycled. I've done marathons and hand cycling and I am most likely going to try to do as much of the um Abbott six star um marathons as much of those as i can in my hand cycle until i can i don't think london has a heat for hand cyclists so if that's the case if uh if and when that's the case then when i do london's marathon then i'll do it running only and then i will do it with uh richard uh by my side that would be really cool and then eventually my goal is to do the six running you know so for me, what's exhilarating is knowing that there is something next coming up and it's going to be way bigger and way better than the last. Rome, as you are now planning to make that transition from the hand cyclist to blade runner, what, what is the biggest challenge there? What, what is, what's the hardest part about learning how to run on the blades and, and, and that transition and you know, how far are you, are, are you able to go right now? Oh, well, the biggest issue physically is endurance, right? I mean, how far can you go a uh, quarter mile um, without sweating, dropping dead? Um, and then there's the mechanics of it, right? And uh, yes, can I trot left and right? Can I bounce a little bit? And is it going to get better over time? Yes. Um, 
Uh, it's literally standing next to or somebody on the track that's just like me and said, this is how you do it. And whenever the next time I can do that is, I don't know. And then, so the, the challenge comes uh, to physical uh, proximity to someone who is just like me using similar equipment, right? And then the other challenge... Uh, physical. And then the other challenge is definitely mental. I mean, it's easy enough to mental slash social. It's easy enough to waddle around where we're in your neighborhood, but to go on a high school track, even during the summer. I mean, it's, uh, it's a different uh, environment and you got to put your game face on for that. I relish in the moment. Awesome, Rome. I know you in an interview, I have seen you say big problems, many, many small solutions. So how do you break down to this big, I want to call them problem to you, the many, the big challenge of 26.2 miles or um, journey. The prob See, the problem is, well, the problem is for me right now that 26.2 miles is not a lot, right? A marathon of 26 miles is not long enough. I, I was hearing about other hand cycle distances, 50, 100 miles, something, maybe, hopefully. But for now, it's that is a medium size, medium size challenge. I'd say, you know, uh, next time I get to do like a 50 miler that I can break down into smaller goals. And let's say I have a 50 miler coming up. Uh, and the most I've done would be uh, a little over 40 in central park, just straight cruising. Cause I, well, the most I've done would be the five borough bike tour. And that's uh what? 43. Uh, yeah, it's just over 40. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So let's take uh, the fiber bike tour, for example, right? And that I could break down and that I would break down as, okay, it's 43 miles. My God. No, 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 no. How many miles is each borough? Right. And then you can further break it down to what's halfway into that each borough. Boom, 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 boom. And then you go through that half, and then you get through that half, and then you get through that half, and that half. Yeah, Rome. I mean, it's it's that way of thinking, and I think what I love about the way you you talk about it, not just when it comes to hand cycling, but just big picture, right? Like you've got a really hard goal, right? A really hard obstacle to overcome. Don't make it. How am I going to go from here to the top of Mount Everest, right? Make it. How am I going to go up a hundred feet? And then the next hundred feet and then the next hundred feet. So breaking down those long journeys and what's the old, the saying, right? The journey of a thousand miles must start with a single step, right? Mm -hmm. so is, that, is that how you have kind of broken it all down in terms of your athletics, but also I assume the challenges you've had, you know, outside of sports when it comes to, you know, the condition that, that you, that you're now living with. It's not just the start of a thousand steps uh begin that begins with the uh, one step but it's that each following each next step is a little bit better than the one before or might be just a little bit stronger maybe a little bit longer whatever the stride becomes better as you keep stepping and that definitely has kept me motivated in that i feel that with each stride i get closer and closer to whatever my objective is, but I get better and better, stronger and stronger at performing that specific stride too, which is, which is great. Bro, you know, we have that perception that running is so hard and it's kind of hard to get people to run 
just out of the couch once they get started it's easier you know they we said the hardest part of running is getting your shoes on so now that you are getting your blades on start running how do you motivate those people that says hey they're watching you hearing you in their living room says oh 5k 10k half marathon full marathon is long for me i can't do it but what would be the message for you to pass on to them and just, um, okay, all those might be too long. So half it until it doesn't get too long. Keep having it until it uh, gets to a point where it's a, where you can say, yo, guess what I did? I did this little bit. And then I did this little bit, right? Have it until it gets easier. Have it until it gets super easy. And then you do that and then you do the whole thing and then you're bragging about it. When you get to brag about what you've done, uh, that is a, in my opinion, a tremendous accomplishment because I don't feel like I can brag in anything that I do. I'm still a minnow among sharks. I'm definitely a little fish in the sea right now. And I know some of those uh, guys, right? And I've met them and I know what they can do. And it just, I, I knew that okay, that can be done. And I just had to catch up to them. Certainly. I know some people have far eclipsed me, um, and have been dealing with a similar circumstance in that they're missing both their legs above their knee and they have accomplished more that they can walk smoother and better than I can in a shorter amount of time. I think they're going on maybe two, three years. So to each his own. Well, love the message, you know, break it in half, right? That's a great, that's a break it in half until it seems like something you can do. So you've told your story, not just to us and many others, but on social media, you, you really had a nice impact, Rome, in the way you've shared your story and inspired people on TikTok in particular, Instagram as well. What, what got you started there? I mean, you, you talked about how you first found you know, the hand cycling and things like that on social media. Is that what inspired you to go on social media and start sharing your story as well so that others would find it? Or what, what got you started with the whole TikTok thing? Well, the hand cycling was not social media related. That was, I was staying at Burke and uh, the amputee group I was meeting, Dom was there and he said, oh, we got this hand cycling clinic you should try. So I did that. And so the social media aspect came after when I was already home. And in my mind, I, I simply had a goal. All right. I wanted to be more proficient at hands-free independent walking in my prosthetics right and i'm thinking okay this is these are my first steps there are more of you on social media that are good at this than me so the best thing that i can do is put together a movie or a video and post it and get any feedback that i can right and that was my whole thinking behind that uh tiktok uh thinking yeah uh, you know this is where i'm at now what's your uh give me your feedback what can i improve how do i improve on this and eventually i found my own way right but i think the message 
is what's important is that uh, you have to be okay with falling first steps. If that's uh, what you're going through, if you're learning how to walk again uh, and your goal is to do it hands-free, assisted device-free, then you are going to have to be okay with falling, right? Um, you're, uh, but more importantly, I guess eventually when I will go back to posting more on TikTok is you got to start with stubbies first. You got to start short before you can go tall. Um, but also, if you want to, you also eventually to have to become okay with falling. Well, Rom, you've been show that you are vulnerable uh, to you know your lifestyle, and how do you get that sense of humor to be able to just say, "Hey, it's a fine line," you know, it's serious when you want to be serious, and you want to have that uh, sense of humor. I remember watching on a video that says the little boy says, "Hey, he doesn't have leg," or by you were talking about. I'm going to cross my leg before the, to the new cast lady. So when did that start to make it acceptability? Um, that's probably, I've always probably been innately somewhat, uh, sarcastic. I've gotten, I've got plenty of sarcasm and in me and I had some before my accident I was probably before my accident, just, trying too hard but now i have a great excuse to be funny and <laughs> make jokes and but also you got to know the audience and you got to know timing and i feel like yeah i grew up in a culture where i know when jokes are appropriate when we're talking about real stuff and uh, you know it's okay if you laugh because you understand i'm making a joke as opposed to you aren't gonna laugh because you know i'm not trying to make a joke but i also think you're not going to laugh even if i try to make a corny joke you know then you would call me out on it that's also another really high level of appreciation for me call me out on a bad joke you have some interactions i'm sure with folks that are you know give give you the chance to make a joke i, I saw that one interview where you're, you're you're talking to a reporter and a kid you know looks at you and tells tells his mom oh he doesn't have any legs and you you, you kind of like engage with the kid and say yeah that's right oh <laughs> yeah oh man i there was i remember oh, i remember uh one time there was uh going through the airport in jfk and there was this little uh girl running away from her mom oh my god mommy he's got no legs and uh mom was like oh my god yeah it's because i ran away from my mom all those years ago and look what happened <laughs> and she was the yes thank you so much you know i went and got my luggage so it's depending on the situation when there's kids yes of course you know have fun um but it's also something that takes uh time and i think years of acceptance uh and telling and being comfortable telling your story right because it's not just any old random person if i'm at a bar or having a drink and they sit next to me and they're like they don't all have them said anything what happened you know what i'm gonna say is, well what happened to you i mean you tell me what was the worst day of your life and then maybe i'll tell you mine and then maybe you said what is my name then you would, then you would, then I asked you what yours is, right? And then you asked me what I'm about, where I come from, what am I doing here? What am I drinking? And then maybe we got to talking, right? Because if you want to know what my, and I consider my story so unique and 
it has to be really conveyed as a once in a lifetime thing. Only I have to deal with what happened to me, just like anybody other of the AMT. It, and it frustrates me sometimes when I hear other people say, I, uh, I got hit by a car. Oh, it's no, no, it's not just another thing. Mm. It can't be. I love that response to that question. What happened, right? What happened to you? Because I mean, something happened to everybody, right? So everybody's got their story. Maybe they can't, it can't be seen with everybody what their, you know, trauma or their challenges are is the way maybe we can see it when you walk into a bar, but that's a great, great uh, point and a great response to that. What about when you're out training with your blades now? I mean, that's, that's something that is becoming a little more common. People have seen it, of course, on television and whatnot, but what kind of reactions do you get from other runners and what kind of questions do you get from, from runners who are wondering about, you know, running on, on the blades and, and the, 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 the unique challenges of that? I honestly have not worn them around other uh, runners. I have not been to any event uh, with them on with other runners. I mean, I have been, but I haven't worn them and gone out on a run. You're training on your um, own with them still. Um, training is like, well, what walking a little bit up and down your driveway. I mean, for me it's, but there's really like all oh, my neighbors, but I know them already. Uh, right. It's not like uh, I haven't yet gone for a walk in central park in these, you know, which will be coming up, uh, probably not at the hope and possibility. Um, but maybe the hope and possibility. Well, you are a trailblazer um, now that you are taking those blades seriously. What advice would you give to the new ones that are, you know, you know, life is unpredictable. You know, if you mm -hmm. have to say three things, hey, this is the three things that I learned. And how, how would you pass on to that to others? Number one is find your tribe, find your community, your tribe, you know, uh, because those are the only people's answers you'll truly trust and that you will truly understand. Because if I were to ask any of you, no matter what profession you were in, um, oh, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with that? You know, you can tell me your thing, but it's not physically what you've had to go through so find your tribe you dealing with someone who's had amputations find other amputees and talk to them um rely heavily on your family um if you're all alone find your tribe right you're not all alone you're not you're never all alone in this um and results come faster than you might think right it does not take years you know i mean a couple of days ago i didn't know how to jump without staying uh, without falling backwards and now i can at least get up off the ground without falling and there's literally less less than a couple hours practice um you know and then you, you get the body so it's physical physicality do and third is baby steps are fast enough for us well for me in particular but <laughs> well, it's a great story, Rome, and we're, we're thrilled that, that you've been joining us in New York the last couple of years. We're really excited to see you here again in 2023 and can't wait to see you, you know, not only progress as a hand cyclist, but, you know, wish you all the luck as you, you know, work on running on the blades and can't wait to see you out running with us on those at some point as well, because you've inspired people already on the hand cycle you're going to continue to do that we know uh, in anything you do so 
Really, thanks for joining Meb and I appreciate it. All right, it's time for the part of our show where we hear from Meb in the Meb Minute. And Meb, today we are talking about running mechanics. And you know, we all run, but none of us quite know if we're running the right way. Are we striding the right way? Is our heel striking or ball of our foot striking? How do you think about developing the right mechanics to run long distances efficiently? Rob, running mechanic is so huge, so important. People often just get out the door, going for a run, but they really don't know a lot of how to do your arms or what you should be head striking or mid-foot striking or toe runner. We all have DNA, but absolutely necessary to kind of evaluate your mechanic is important. It's something that you can control saying, hey, it's not like sprint, right? And, and you need to be able to hold your, uh, your mechanic upright check and balances, like check the arms once in a while just to kind of know I'm in the zone. How is my, am I staying up tall? Is my chest upright? And then also is my head up? Because when you get fatigued, you kind of have a tendency to go down or lean back. So those are the most important things. And strides, you know, how is that going really well for me? Because once in a while, you need to be able to just do like a check and balances, whether that's every 5K or every six miles or something, just to keep you tuned up because running is important, but having your mechanic upright is also very good mechanic. How do you know if your mechanics are right or not? Like what's the process of figuring it out? Do you need a coach? Coach definitely helps, but sometimes also, you know, when you're running uh, like sunset or sunrise, the shadow is the best indicator. You know, look at your shadow once in a while and that will tell you, is my arm moving back enough or uh, am I leaning too much forward? And then also when you are tuned to your body, you're going to feel it. Is my hip underneath of me? Same tall. Imagine having an egg on top of your head, you know, so make sure you protect it because if you lean forward, it's going to fall. If you lean back, it's going to fall. So... A shadow is a good one. A coach is important to let you know what are the basics and what you should do with your arms. What should your thumb be? Should you be closed hand or should you have like a sprinter open all, all fingers? It shouldn't be that way. As a distance runner, you need to understand that it needs to be gentle, relaxed, and be able to be as efficient as possible with your running mechanics. All right. I love it. I've always just ignored my shadow. Now I'm, there's actually something <laughs> I can get out of looking at it. So that's really good to know. That's today's Med Minute. We'll have another Med Minute every single episode of Set the Pace. All right. We have reached the finish line of another episode of Set the Pace. Coming up, our next episode will be my colleague and friend, Ted Metellus, the race director of the TCS New York City Marathon. He's going to walk us through everything you can expect if you're planning to run in New York in just about a month, uh, we'll talk about some of the logistics, some of the changes from last year's race. And so looking forward to that, a great conversation with Ted. Remember, we're here dropping a new episode every single Thursday on Set the Pace. So tell your friends, make sure you please follow us, leave a rating as well. We look forward to seeing you next week on another episode of Set the Pace. Set the Pace.